0: Thank you, Pastor Andy. First of all, I want to say thank you for the opportunity uh, to preach, to, to, to share the word this morning. Um, I know how precious the pulpit is to Pastor, so it's a risk. Uh, it's a, it is a risk, and I really appreciate it. Hopefully you're in safe hands this morning. Um, let's just dive straight into it. If you got your Bible, you can Turn to Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. We'll read, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive straight into it. Verse 1, it says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them to go into the village ahead of you, at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4. This took place so that the, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tells daughter Zion, see your king your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt. The foil of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat. Then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I'll title my thoughts this morning, The King is Coming. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. You are the reason why we're here, Lord, and I pray. God, for each and every person in here, including myself, to receive from you. Lord, I pray that you will pour out your spirit on us, God, and I pray that you will encourage us and meet us exactly where we're at. In Jesus' name I pray. (laughs) Amen. Amen. The year is 1838. When Queen Victoria participates in one of the strangest and most popular coronations the world has ever seen. Many historians have written about this coronation and all of them conclude to this. All of them come to the same conclusion and that is this. Queen Victoria's coronation was one that was underprepared and underrehearsed. And as a result, it was a complete debacle. The parade lasted over five hours. That's long. And the king and the key players had no idea of how things were supposed to go. And during the ceremony itself, watch it, an elderly peer fell down the steps on his way to pay homage to the queen. It's tragic. (laughs) And to make matters worse, the coronation ring was forcefully shoved on the queen's finger, causing her severe pain. But it gets worse. (laughs) Apparently, at some point during the ceremony, Queen Victoria was Instructed by the bishop that the that the ceremony and the parade was over only to find out that he was wrong and had to go back and bring the queen to finish the coronation. Needless to say, this was the talk of the town, a complete debacle of a coronation. And yet Queen Victoria pinned that this still was the proudest day of her life. Or how about July of 1821, when King George IV locked out the queen during his coronation. Apparently, they never liked each other. And so they had some tension at the beginning of their marriage. She ended up going somewhere else, and the coronation was approaching. He said, stay there. She said, no, I'm coming. That's my right. Only to find out that he had orchestrated a way to keep her barred from entering into the coronation. There's been all kinds of strange parades that took place. I share these stories this morning because in this text, we come across one of the strangest and yet the most important coronation that the world has ever witnessed. It's the most important because Jesus is essentially, this is his coming out party. He's telling everybody that, listen, I am the king. I'm the one that Zechariah was talking about in chapter 9, verse 9. And it's interesting and incredible all at the same time, because if you read the Gospels, here's what you find out is that Jesus was always trying to conceal his true identity. He will work a miracle and he said, hey, don't tell anybody what just took place and don't tell nobody who I am. Why? Because he did not want people to force him to be the king. He knew that that was going to be the byproduct of it, but it was not the right time. And in this text, now is the time that he is going to reveal to everybody that he showed up is the king. However, it's a strange text as well, because the proclamation as being the king does not match the picture of the text. In other words, there's no glitz. There's no glamour. There's no bells. There's no whistles. Typically, typically in these coronations, you got your queen, you got your prince, you got your princess, you you, you got your you got your your ushers. You got all of these important people surrounding you. But in this text, you don't see none of that. Instead, you see a meek and gentle king riding on the back of a donkey. And so it's this dichotomy that we're building, that we're that we're wrestling with this morning, that we serve a king who both has supreme authority and humility all wrapped up in one. And that brings me to my first observation. Jesus in this text reveals to us that he is a king who has supernatural authority. In other words, the authority that Jesus is walking in It's not one that you and I can give them. It's not one that the scribes and the Pharisees can give them. It's not one that people can vote in, but the authority that Jesus is walking in, it exists because of who he is. His authority transcends anything that this world has to offer. It's an authority that was given to him by his heavenly father. Now, when you read this text, as I talked about in the introduction, It's a strange text. And the more that you, the more you read it, the stranger it gets. And here's why. When you read this text, you come to the conclusion, number one, that Jesus orchestrated the entire coronation. He is in complete control. There's no outside factors taking place. It's fascinating and incredible all at the same time. Nobody else can pull this off. He is in complete control. It's not an accident. It's not like he was just sauntering down Jerusalem and then people start screaming Hosanna. No, he was in control the entire time. Look at verse two and three. You see him talking to the he talk, talking to his disciples and he says, listen, we're about to approach Jerusalem. Go to the town above us or right around the corner. Listen to these commands. It's a strange command. He says, just go to this little place right here. And, 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 and find this donkey and untie it and then bring it to me. They don't ask any questions. Would you have asked questions? If Pastor Andy said, hey, I need you to go to the parking lot over there, get the key, turn the car, bring it to me. What you going to do? <laughs> There's going to be some questions that you, wait, why am I going? Because that's stealing. At least that's how it appears. And so he's a, he, he's exercising his authority. Just do what I tell you to do. And watch this. He says, if anyone, not just if anyone comes and talk to you, that means it doesn't matter who it is. If anyone comes and asks you, what the heck are you doing? Just tell them, watch it. The Lord needs use of it. He's starting to openly tell people who he is. And he's walking in this authority. In addition to that, Pastor, one of my favorite pastors that I listened to, his name is Pastor Ralph West down in Houston. And, and he highlighted this for me. Now, when you read the all the accounts of the triumphant entry, here's what you find. You, you find little uh, little nuggets that add to the story, if you will. And, and this donkey, this coat that Jesus w- was going to ride was, was a virgin donkey, meaning it has never been ridden before. And so Pastor Ralph West says, Anybody who knows anything about animals know that if you just get on a a horse or a donkey that's never been ridden before, you might have some problems. They might not know where to go. It might be chaotic. But because it is the king sitting on top of this donkey, it's in full control. He's in control of everything. In John 12, it talks about how Jesus Even the buzz, his name is buzzing at this point because he had worked some amazing miracle, one that you and I would never be able to do. He resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He had been in the tomb for four days and he called him up out of the tomb. Now everybody's trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy? He set up everything. He is exercising complete control and authority in this text. Authority. Authority. Is the power to give orders, make decisions, or enforce obedience? All of that's taking place in this text. One of the clearest pictures I can give you this morning, I believe every person in here has played one of three of these roles, is the difference between a substitute teacher, the authority of a substitute teacher, and the authority of a regular teacher. I played all three roles. I know it's a real thing. I'm going to use myself as a student, though. Cause listen to me and, and we got some, some, some young students in here. When, when I saw that my main teacher is not gonna walk through those doors in high school, I, would, I wouldn't even have to turn my head. I would just kind of look to the side to my friend, give a little smirk, cause we know it's about to go down. <laughs> like we finna have a blast today She better have a backbone. She better exercise some kind of authority because I'm going to test her every single time I get a chance. And the more I see that she ain't got no authority, the worse it's going to get for her. And I believe every person in here has experienced that. If not, that's great for you or not great because you didn't get to have fun. But if it got out of control, like I might just ball up. A a, a paper, some homework and humming at the back of my head, my friend's head, just just because we're just wilding out. There's no authority in the classroom at all. But let a principal walk in and watch how fast I sit down and pick up a pencil and act like I'm doing some work. What is that? That's authority. Here's my argument. The authority that Jesus is revealing in this text, it's not bad news for us. But it's good news for those who are in Christ. You see, society, especially the time that we live in now, they don't want anybody telling them what to do. And they live under this illusion that, that they don't have something functioning as a king over their life. Here is the truth, whether we want to admit it or not. If Jesus is not ruling your life, something or someone is ruling your life. C.S. Lewis says says it this way. He says he does believe in democracy because we all are sinners. It's a funny way to look at it. But he continues and concludes with this quote. He says that we, we are all made to be rude. He says if we don't acknowledge that Jesus is king, someone or something will take that role in our life. And ultimately, that will lead to enslavement. See, see in Christ. Here's my argument why we should submit to Jesus as king. In, in Christ we have a king who, who sacrificed for it, sacrificed his entire life so that we can enter into a relationship with him. Any other idol that's competing for the throne of your heart will will make you sacrifice for will make you sacrifice in order to attain what it is that's ruling your heart. For instance, if it's money, you'll sacrifice your family. If it's pleasure, you you if it's success, you you'll sacrifice your integrity. See, any king outside of Jesus Christ leads to slavery. You do have a king. The question is, who is at the throne of your heart? And this text is arguing to us this morning that Jesus is the safe king, the the king who has all authority, but yet he walks in humility as well. And so, and so we should trust him. So, and so we should rely on him. And so we, we should obey him willingly because he is the king who will take care of us. Amen? Amen? My second observation from this text is this. In this text, we can see who has access to this king. Pay attention to those who are closest to him in this text. <laughs> we touched on this in the introduction. Pay attention with the understanding that he's revealing to the world that he is a king. Typically, you got they're, they're, in this text, you don't see any prince. You don't see any queen. You, you don't see any princess. You, you don't see anybody important in this text. All you see are those who were called by Christ to walk with him You see his disciples, and that is the people who have access to this king. That's good news for all of us this morning. In this text, we see regular men and women of low status having complete access to the king of the universe. It is the fishermen who caught the attention of our Lord and Savior. It is the fishermen who caught the attention of our king. And for those of us in Christ, what that means is that we don't get our value. It doesn't come from from what we do. But rather, we are anchored in the fact that we are sons and daughters of Christ. No matter what our vocation is this morning, no external factors can prevent us from approaching his throne of grace with boldness and confidence in our time of need. This is the type of kingdom that we are a part of. As I stated early, earlier, typically access to a king uh, means that you are someone important, someone of significance. You, it, it's only reserved for those who are, are, who are elite in this lifetime. You don't believe me? Take your tail up to Washington, D.C. and just try to go into the White House with no kind of appointment. Go walk up into the door and see how that works out for you. You're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. Why? Because you're not that important and neither am I. You can't just walk up on the president because you don't have that type of access. I work for FCA, this is, this is low-level access, this is nothing important at all, but it helps me illustrate my point nonetheless. I work, I work for FCA part-time and, and they gave me like a little card and that card gives me access to all of the, any kind of sport game taking place of all of Cobb County. And so I can walk in there and say, hey. I'm connected to FCA, I work there, here's my card, I don't have to pay anything. It's beautiful to me, I love it because I enjoy sports. That's what access means. Access means you have permission or liberty to approach or communicate to a specific person or in a specific place. Here's what we know. If you have access to someone, that means you're important to them. My wife, my kids, your wife, your kids, your husband, your friends, those who are closest to you, they always have access to you no matter how high you go up in this world. President Joe Biden, his, his, his family, his wife, his children, they can run up to the White House right now. They might, they might tell them to hold off, but they're not getting thrown in jail or anything like that because they have access to the president. They are important to him. Here's my point. In Christ, we always have access to the King. We we have access to his unconditional love. Yeah. We have access to his unlimited power. We have access to his wisdom. That's James chapter 1. He tells us come and pull on my wisdom. We have access to his forgiveness. We have access to his grace. The scripture says that those who are in Christ, he says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have access to the king. We don't have to beg for these things. We don't have to set up an appointment for these things. No. We can approach his throne at any time, any day for any reason, because we are his and he is ours. He loves us. He cares for us. And we need to spend time fellowshipping with our king. We need to take advantage of the, the access that we had to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We need to spend time with God when things are up and we need to spend time with God when things are down. We need to be honest with the Lord. We need to share a mess with the Lord. If you're angry with the Lord, you need to say, God, I'm angry at you. I don't know why this is taking place in my life. That is always available to us. Scripture says, cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. We will be remiss not to take advantage of the access that Jesus has provided for us on the cross. We can communicate and fellowship with this king. The third observation is this. Jesus reveals that he is a king who who not only has supernatural authority, but he reveals that he is a king that has unusual humility. Look at verse five. It says, tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming. How's he coming? Gentle and mounted on a donkey. You see, the expectation for the Messiah was one that was going to be coming with military force. As a result, people picture the Messiah riding on a war horse. But instead, he came riding on the back of a donkey as a peaceful and gentle king. But make no mistake about it. This text is messianic, and he did fulfill Zechariah nine. However, in this text, Jesus redefines his Messiahship by coming on a donkey because donkeys in that time were used for civil processions, not not military ones. Therefore, this triumphant entry is not triumphant for the Jews in what they had in their mind, but rather it is Jerusalem's reception of a meek and humble king. These terms suggest one of compassion and mercy and not exploiting one's power. I'm going to illustrate it with a point. In the late 1800s, there was uh, this really uh, popular evangelist named D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody held these Bible conferences uh, in Massachusetts. Well, in this particular year, there was a Group of, pa- uh, group of pastors that came from Europe to participate and be a part of this Bible conference and the custom in Europe for pastors was they had servants who would polish their shoes at night and so I don't know what they were thinking they must have thought they were still in America but we don't do that in America we don't really do too much serving so but, but they forgot where they were at it's still that way today they forgot where they at they leave their shoes outside D.L. Moody comes by the leader, the most popular evangelist in that time frame, He's doing his prayer walks, walking through the halls of the dorm and he puts two and two together. He sees that they are still operating as if they were, are in Europe. So he goes and talks to some students from America, makes them uh, aware of what's going on and to which he gets no reply, All right? That's fitting, that's normal. If I was a student, I probably would have done the same thing. No. This ain't New York, right? It's America. You wash your own shoes, right? D.L. Moody <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that, but it is what it is. D.L. Moody said D.L. Moody, he didn't put watches. He didn't put any pressure on them at all. Made, it, made the request, let them know what's going on. They didn't really give him much of a reply. He decided from there that he was going to take all the shoes back to his apartment and shine them himself. In fact, the only reason we know about this story is because, is because a friend of his ended up walking into his apartment to help him finish the task, and he is the person that told this story. What a wonderful display of humility. Laying down his rights to serve those around him. He, he, D.L. Moody could have easily made these students shine those shoes. I'm fitting to give you a lesson in servant leadership. <laughs> I'm about to impose my will, use my power and make you do this. He could have easily done that and nobody would have said anything because he is D.L. Moody. But instead, he didn't use his status for that. But with a servant heart, he took the burdens upon himself to shine the shoes of those York pastors. That's humility. You know, the same is true for our king, Jesus, that is. He had the right to the best coronation with the most prestige celebration. He deserved all of that. But he laid those rights down to serve all of humanity. He is our humble king. No purple robe, no flashing clothing, and the only crown that was bestowed on his head was a crown of thorns. He's a humble king. Here it is, friends. We have a king that has a heart to serve us not use us. That's the difference. In other words, he is using his power not to tear us down, but he's using his power to lift us up. Most, if not all kings outside of Christ use their kingship to serve themselves. They're arrogant, they're heartless, they're mean, lacking compassion, and as a result, they're unapproachable. Not our king. He has all power, absolutely. There's nothing that he can't do but he is meek and lowly at heart. He has compassion. He has mercy. He has sympathy. He has a heart that is turned towards those who will follow him. And as a result, we all know that he is approachable. Listen to the invitation from our king, Matthew 11, 28, 30. It says, come to me. This is the invitation for all of us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Listen to what he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from who? Learn from me, for I am, am gentle and humble in heart. This is our king, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our king does not need us. He's self-sufficient, but rather we need him. He says his desire is to give us rest, rest our souls. He did not come to make us harder, but he came to lighten the load. He did not come to add burdens to us, but he came to lift them up. He says, my yoke is easy. He says, come and be connected to me. Come and be connected to my power so that I can give you strength, so that I can give you safety, so that I can elevate where you are right now. Come to the humble king. What burdens are you carrying this morning? My my encouragement to you this morning is to lay them at the feet of the humble king. A fourth deduction from this text is simply this. Jesus reveals in this text that he came from heaven to rescue those who understand they are weak. He came to rescue those who understand they are weak. Look at verse seven. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt Watch this, and it says, then they laid their clothes on them, and Jesus sat on them. He came sitting on the clothes of poor fishermen, being celebrated by poor people, poor pilgrim people. In other words, those who entered the kingdom of God must recognize they need a Savior. You do know that's the distinction all through the Gospels. The people who were connected to Christ, the the, the people who had a relationship with Christ, humbly and willingly admitted that they needed a savior, that they were broken. It was the Pharisees who who trusted in themselves that were constantly at odds with Jesus Christ because they did not think and believe that they needed him. They thought they had it all together. They were self-sufficient. That's fine. If that's our attitude, that's fine. But in order to enter into this kingdom, you must know that you are weak. You must be aware of your brokenness to be eligible to enter into the kingdom of God. Here's my exhortation. Don't be blinded by worldly wisdom. Don't don't be blinded by your own discipline. Don't be blinded by your moral behavior. Don't be blinded by your success. Don't let those things savor you for your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus said that I came to help those who are broken. He says, I did not come to help those who already have it together. That's the qualification. It's simply this. You must know your need for this King, the posture of our Lord. If you want to experience the savior of the universe is simply this God, I am of need of you. I'm broken. I've tried to defeat looking at unclean things on the computer. I've tried to defeat my lust for whatever the world, is offering me. I've tried to defeat gossip. I've tried to defeat pride. I've tried to defeat greed, but I keep falling over and over and over again. I can't save myself. I need a savior. That's the qualification. Here it is. Weakness. And our inability to fix ourselves put us in position to be rescued by this king. Anytime you go to a pool, a public pool, that is, you see two things. You see water. (laughs) Then you see a a lifeguard and the lifeguard they they exist for one thing to to prevent people from drowning and if you ever seen someone fighting for your life then, then you would know that nobody's trying to be cool at that moment, nobody is trying to be caught and laid back. No, they're fighting for their life. Death, life is on the line. They're, they're desperate. I need somebody. They're splashing the water. I need somebody to come rescue me. And then they need somebody who is stronger than them to come pull them out of that situation. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to us this morning. Spiritually speaking, we cannot save ourselves. We're broken. We can't fix ourselves. We need a savior. His arm is not too short to save. That's what the scripture says. But the irony of that story is the person who's not drowning, they don't need the lifeguard. And many times we don't recognize spiritually we're drowning. Therefore, our posture is not in the right place to receive grace from our King. Here's my last point, and I'm in my seat. Jesus reveals in this text that he came to deliver us from eternal consequences, not temporal discomfort. The word Hosanna means to save now. As we talked about earlier, the expectation for the Messiah amongst the Jews for sure was that that this Messiah was going to come and to deliver them from the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. In addition to that, this is what we know about this text. Every person that was screaming out and yelling out Hosanna did not love Jesus for the sake of Jesus. In fact, they were under the same ideation and thought process that Jesus was going to save them from their current circumstance. And so, hey, if you're going to fix my problem, I'm all for you. That's where they are at right now. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's fitting to turn the tables. He's going to lift the burdens. He's fitting to make this temporal uh, uh situation of mine better. He's going to relieve it. So I'm all behind Jesus Christ. But the moment that they found out that Jesus was not going to change their temporary circumstances, the very next week, what did they yell? Crucify him. Crucify him. This is a classic misunderstanding of missing the big picture. Having a, a myopic view of what you want now at the expense of fixing the deeper root. God always deals with the root of the issue, not the fruit of the issue. And before we judge them, how many stories are we aware of? Maybe even in our own life, where God didn't answer a prayer, where God didn't heal a a loved one, where he wasn't Hosanna saved right now. And because he didn't fix our current circumstances the way that we thought he should fix our current circumstances, we find ourselves walking away from the Lord. We've seen people in our circles do it time and time again. God must not be real. If he was real, this wouldn't have happened to my loved one. If he was real, he would have solved my situation. I prayed, I tried this Jesus thing, and it didn't happen. It didn't work out for me. Hosanna, saved now. But God came to deal with something way more deeper than our temporary circumstances. Hear me now. I'm I'm not and neither is Jesus making light of people's circumstance. In fact, in the same text, you see him weeping over what sin does to this world. He cares about it. But he's fixing what only he can fix. Here's the truth that this is not a popular opinion, but it's the truth nonetheless. Whether you have been In a situation where you have been oppressed, mistreated, and hurted, hear me. If I see it, and if anyone in here see it as a Christian, it's our duty to stand up for you, right? And we should, and we should speak out for these things. We should care about these things. We should not just gloss over it. But even if you in that situation, or maybe you're the person that's got some power, and maybe you're dominating people and you're not using your power to serve people, listen, you should stop doing that. Jesus wants you to stop doing that. But listen, you still have an issue as well, and that's sin. Or maybe you're oblivious to all of these things. You got a great life, a comfortable life. Praise the Lord for that. But here's the deal: all three of those categories. Every single person is going to die and we're going to be standing in front of a judge who's going to hold us accountable for our sin. And nobody, the Bible says there's not one person that is righteous. All are subject to being separated from God for all of eternity. That's what Jesus came to fix. He came to deal with the thing that we can't fix, sin and our separation from God. He came to straighten us out so that we could straighten everything out. Amen. My clues conclusion here: the Jews was waiting for this prophecy for a long time, and I can imagine, I can imagine them reading the story in Exodus, talking to their children. This is the God that we serve. He's coming. He delivered the Israelites from up under the hand of the of the Egyptians, and and the Scripture says that He's going to do it for us. He's going to deliver us. From this Roman Empire and showing up. Jesus shows up, but he did not show up the way that they wanted him to show up. He came riding on the back of a donkey, gentle, lowly and humble at heart to establish a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom. He did not come to rule just for a short period of time. No, he did, he did not come to effect change for, for 50 or 40 years to where we could talk about what Jesus did back in 2000 years ago and motivate ourselves on why we should affect some kind of change. No, he came to establish an eternal authority. In other words, he might have he might have had died over 2000 years ago, but his his throne, he is still on the throne today. He's still impacting lives today. He's still changing lives today contrary to popular belief he's still in the business of setting the captive free he he still is in the business of healing those who are sick he's still in the business of liberating those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd he still is in the business of bringing life to those who are lifeless he still is in the business of delivering us from all of our fears and he still is our present help in our time of need in fact There's millions of millions of people across the globe right now screaming and yelling Hosanna right now. And they're going to be doing it million years from now. Why? Because his kingdom is permanent. We serve the eternal king. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. And I pray for all of us to receive it with a glad heart in Jesus name. Amen.